My name is Bertram, one of the uh, elders here at Ecclesia. And um, it's great to welcome everyone here present to um, a time where we get together and indeed get fed from God's word. Um, even as we continue in our current series in the book, in, the, in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, um, I want to introduce this just by asking, I mean, we've all been there, whether as parents or as children, and had those times when um, if we've had the, however you look at it, the blessing or the challenge of having siblings. Um, we've had those times where parents get involved in sorting out sibling rivalry. And sometimes it goes, either comes down very hard or comes down gently where we're called aside and, you know, urged to be the, the big one and take the step, the grown-up step of um, <clears throat> of conducting ourselves in a way that ushers love, growth in fellowship and growth in relationship. Um, you will recall last week, Pastor Rob talking about uh, the letter to the Corinthians written by Paul the Apostle. And he talked a lot about growth, spiritual growth. I mean, the series is obviously titled Grow Up and talked about growth of a very unusual nature. Whereas we're used to growing physically from, you know, infancy to adulthood, uh, this is a growth where we're growing, not just humanly speaking, but also growing, particularly growing spiritually, whilst yet having our human nature about us. <clears throat> so, in this installment, we're going to be looking at um, what I've called growing through divisions. Growing through divisions. The letter is all about challenging the church to grow. And we'll be looking today in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. Um, just before we pray, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, letter of Paul to the Corinthians, the first chapter. I'm going to read from verses 10 through 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. <clears throat> Do you mind just turning this down a bit? <clears throat> And I'll, I'll read from the New Living Translation. You can follow along in yours. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, 
united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. For now, no one can say they were baptized in my name. Oh yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, for the privilege, even to stand and share from your word. Indeed, it's an awesome task. It's an awesome challenge, Lord. And especially on a subject of growing through division in the church. Father, I just ask for your wisdom, I ask for your grace um, to speak indeed as you would have the church here, to speak as you would have me speak, so that your name alone is glorified. Um, help us, Lord, so that we learn even as we grow through our challenges, through our um, issues here. We thank you even for this opportunity and for the privilege in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the question that I pose, even as we, as we begin to look at this uh, section in Scripture, is this. When a church is faced with division, what should it do? In this case, we find that there's, here is a church that's faced with human divisions that are aimed at dividing the church or aimed at creating factions in the church. And they find themselves with the church, with factions within the church deciding to align themselves to, their, to, dif to different leaders in the church. Different leaders with different giftings. And uh, find that these divisions seek to divide the body these divisions also seek to question and belittle the sacrifice of Christ and indeed are aimed at indeed drawing the souls of men who are Christ's to themselves while detracting from the preaching of the cross of Christ. What does a church do when it's faced with these kinds of divisions? Um, I mean, as we read through the text we begin to see that um, Paul straight away here, after the greetings, like Pastor Rob described last week, after greeting the church and you know, commending them for all the growth that he's seen so far, this is the church of believers. Uh, but as we read through 
the text, you might find yourself thinking or easily identifying with the things that seem positive about the text, about the church, but at the same time wondering, these things that Paul describes here, with people saying they belong to this person, belong to Apollos and Paul or the other, are these guys really believers? Uh, yes, you will find they are. But what do you do when faced with these kinds of um, divisions? So, right here at the beginning, um, we see Paul telling the church that um, with, a, with a straightforward command, exhorting the brethren, exhorting the church by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they all agree and that there be no divisions among them. Simple, right? Easily done, just as it said. No response. I guess it's not that easy then. Just agree. Let there be no divisions among you. I, I, I think the silence tells me something that we, we kind of can identify with um, such command or such instruction. It's easier said than done. But be of the same mind um, and in the same judgment. So here is Paul telling this church exactly what to do. But what kind of divisions are they really faced with so that we can get a better appreciation of how Paul expects this to happen? Well, beginning, in, um, beginning to look at, let's, look at let's, let's see the divisions that Paul is talking about. I mean, people are creating divisions that follow leaders and so divide the body. So let me describe it like this. We're in a church in Corinth, and it seems like there's a menu of leaders to choose from. Which leader do I follow? The ones who are intellectual, eloquent, like um, Paul mentions a, a guy called Apollos. Apollos, uh, Pastor Rob talked about last week, is a young a believer who's come to Corinth and he's said to be very, very good at handling the word. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 24, we read, we, you, you can look there um, in, your, in your own time, you find that this guy was very good at handling the word, but in arriving at the church, all the guys seem to know about at the time, these are early days of the church, is the baptism into John. And he needs some other believers who are there at the church at Corinth to actually instruct him and tell him a bit more. Oh, bro, there's a lot that's happened since. And there is indeed now Christ. And he gets instructed, but the brother is still good, sound, can teach the word, can handle it. And he's teaching very eloquently, very brilliantly. <clears throat> um, then there's also the traditional Jew. This guy is vintage. He's mentioned here as well. Cephas, Peter, in um, chapter 1 and verse 13. He's also uh, one of the leaders that the church knows about. Who would be attracted to follow this kind of a leader? Well, 
What stands out for Peter? One of those who walked with Jesus, based at Jerusalem, a Jew. This guy's got good pedigree when it comes to original Christianity. So, I mean, he would weigh heavily with those who are Jews as well. So perhaps he would have a following among the Jews. Apollos would have a following among the very intellectual, high-minded guys, very cerebral. And then there's um, Paul, a tent maker, a rugged guy, a Jew, not originally based um, in Jerusalem. He had some dealings there as a Jew originally, but a Jew of Jews, staunchly opposed to the gospel when it first began. Went out arresting people until he met Christ personally, but not one of the original 12. But this guy has been on missions, he's been on trips, he's been around the world. If you like, uh, the early day, who could I liken him to now? Brian Broderson? <laughs> Chuck Smith? Um, Greg Laurie. I could like him to a big, very, very well-renowned international speaker who's gone all over the place, planted churches. This guy, however, is not eloquent. He's just a guy who gets by and lives very sparsely, but knows how to, to, to look after, knows how to handle the church. This guy would appeal to those who were foundation members of the church at Corinth. So which leader should I follow? Question I ask for us, is this relevant for us here at Ecclesia? I mean, do I like a, who do you prefer? A rock star pastor with a full staff? Eloquent with a social media presence? What if he speaks, this guy, or the leader that I have to choose from, what if he speaks God's word to me straight, and it's not, like, it's not what I like or understand? Do I prefer just the one I can tolerate amongst the lot, or just the one who's preaching I can easily understand? So these guys make those kinds of choices and those kinds of decisions. And... Just imagine with me for a minute, in the church, these guys have to make choices about, right, I need counsel about something. Would they wait for their preferred leader to get to have, a, have an appointment for counseling? Or would they just let the thing fester and don't listen to anyone else? Well... These kinds of choices create disunity and, dis and divide the body. This is the kind of thing that Paul is describing here. But does this mean that, for example, I wouldn't come into church unless Brother B is preaching or maybe Mikey P. Or I prefer Pastor Rich because... You know, his, 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 his teaching there is very, very cerebral and, you know, the man's gone to Bible college. Do I prefer that, that sort of thing? And so reserve my attention, reserve my, um, my preference or my time or my involvement until 
my preferred leader is involved. This is exactly the kind of thing that's going on in Corinth. Well, Paul poses a question, is Christ divided? I mean, what are we doing in, in, in um, conducting ourselves or conduct, in the church conducting itself in that sort of manner? But do you see that this takes away from the relationship that we have with Christ? And he chooses to build on divisive relationships with men. But Paul poses a challenge to the church to grow through this. Given, humanly speaking, we may have our preferences. We may have what we choose to, what we can actually easily adapt to, what we can easily identify with amongst those that God has gifted the church with to lead the church. But Paul challenges the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, here's how to regard us. And I speak, even transferring this, applying this to us here. Here's how to regard us as servants of Christ. Servants in Christ's household. As stewards who steward the mysteries of God or handle God's word. And you know something? These stewards must indeed prove trustworthy. We may hold one in higher esteem over the other. But guess what? Our estimation is nothing compared to how the Lord estimates each of us. The Lord's estimation of us matters. It's his business that we handle. He's the one who will come by and say, well done, my good and faithful servant, for each and every one of us. And each of us will receive praise from God, you know. And guess what? All of these servants, they're all available to you. Whichever, one you. whichever one you work with, they're all available to you, provided by God. But quickly moving on, further from the, the kinds of divisions that these guys choose to have and how to regard all that God makes available to the church. Paul asks a question in chapter 1 and verse 13. Was Paul crucified for you? Because he's asked the first question, is Christ divided? He isn't. Even though we choose to, even though we may, humanly speaking, divide ourselves along lines of who we choose to follow, which leader we prefer. Whereas we have the whole array available to us. Paul asked the next question, what do we do, church? He's asking, was Paul crucified for you? Just in case this affects me, you know, and I confess there's, there's, what, there's a time I relished one pastor's teaching style. I say no more. I won't say which one. <laughs> but Paul asked the question, was, was Paul... <laughs> Was, was, Paul, was Paul crucified for you? Imagine, just imagine. Maybe, and I've heard it said here, actually. You know, some say, oh, I like it when you teach. I, oh, I like it when so-and-so teaches. Was I crucified for you? 
It's a, it's a crucial question. If you're closely following, and I pray you are, I'm saying just like Paul, in a very clever way, and this is something that um, we need to bear in mind as we go through this letter, Peter refers to it. He says, Paul, he's, he's writing sometimes, it's, it's just difficult to understand, and people mishandle it to their own, to their own uh, hurt. Paul's asking a question, but he's actually saying, I was not crucified for you. I wasn't crucified for you. The answer is clearly no. I couldn't possibly be crucified for you. Whoever that is among the leaders that you prefer or would, would, would you know, boast and brag about over another, they weren't crucified for you. Paul's death, if he died, or mine, would just bring momentary grief, if at all, <laughs> for, for some. <laughs> some would be like, oh, all right. <laughs> When's Bali Loves next? <laughs> you know, momentary grief. But guess what? Even if any of us were crucified, it wouldn't bring salvation for you. A death would, would, would be in vain as far as bringing you close to God is concerned. Paul's death would not bring peace with God is the point he's making. Would your pastor's death bring you salvation? Should we still be looking uh, to any of our leaders to such extent, maybe. And believe it or not, believe it or not, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's the case in here, but believe it or not, there are believers who hold leaders in such high esteem. The church is dealing with that, and Paul goes there. Was I crucified for you? I, I wasn't crucified for you. So, should we still be looking there, looking up to the leaders, or should we, as the writer in Hebrews 12 and verse 2 says, should we be fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author? He begun this thing, this faith we have towards God. Christ begun it. And he's the perfecter. He's the one who's going to see it through. He's the one going to bring us to his presence, into the presence of God. Only he could do it. Should we be looking unto him who endured the cross and who has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God? I tell you, the picture running through my mind now is like, you know, a few of us, a handful of us running with Jesus and maybe a few pastors going to some event. And whoever says, follow me, or whoever we choose to follow, we follow to a point and get to the entrance. And depending on who we follow, we could be stuck outside. Or we could get in. Who would you rather follow? Christ? Or the as they popularly called out there, the man of God. 
as I, as I speak, I'm applying these things to myself. I'm realizing this applies to me. My heart's racing right now. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> but look, if, if I'm not crucified for you, I'm unfit as an offering to save your soul before God. So please, don't give me that kind of allegiance. You know what? Especially when I'm not there. To anyone. Or even to yourself. Let your allegiance be to Christ. Let it be to Christ. Because I'm not worthy of it. None of us is worthy of it. Since Christ died for you, don't lose sight of the one who saved your soul, who gave you spiritual life, who's given you spiritual life now. He gave it to you when you were saved, when you were reconciled with God. He gives it to you now as you grow up in Christ. And guess what? He holds promise of eternal life for you as you continue with him. So, indeed, <laughs> I wasn't crucified for you. Paul says, I was not crucified for you. And besides, at first, the body is not divided. However you choose, whoever you choose to follow, you have the whole lot available as, at, at your service. If I remember, I'll say something about that <laughs> before, I, before I step away here. Going on in this church with all its divisions, I wonder, <laughs> when I mentioned Chloe, I, I heard some giggling in that corner. Were you baptized in the name of Paul is the next question Paul's asking. And you know the answer, to, you know the answer to this one based on what we just walked through. The answer is no. But I, I'll just pause look how much Paul is saying about baptizing in verses. 13, 14, 15, 16, about six times to the point of the man's thanking God that he baptized none of them. <laughs> as, as, as I was thinking about this this morning, I just imagined Chloe's household. Let me not say Chloe. <laughs> I imagined Chloe's household in a phone call or pause on the phone call with Chloe's household. And the phone call's going... <laughs> it's like, the man's like, no, I... What? I didn't baptize anybody. Really? Okay. Oh, and he comes away and he writes here, I thank God I didn't baptize anybody. These people are making so much noise about being baptized by me. That's the kind of, of divisions that Paul is being informed about. I mean, what had they been saying? Or how much did did Chloe's people tell Paul they said about baptism? Just in conversation. 
the chat's going on, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we were baptized by Paul. Like, wow, really? You were baptized by Paul? Man, that guy's done missionary trips. That guy's planted churches all over the place. That guy, boy, he's been stoned so many times. You were baptized by Paul? Mm, heavy. Big things, you know, and begin to form a clique around that. Hello? Come now. Is that, is that so important? Think about that guy, really. Wrote much of the New Testament. That's big. But the key thing is, the key thing is, whoever it is that does the baptism, coming to the question or coming to the points that Paul's making about being baptized in the name of Paul and this is a big thing, it seems, for the Corinthian church. The key thing is, whoever does or takes you through this, that the baptism identifies you with Christ. The baptism identifies you with Christ. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sellout. It's a cheap, it's a sellout really if by being, uh, what's the word now? If by, being, if, by, if by finding, if by identifying with the person who carries out the baptism or the person who carries out, if I bring it to our day, person who carries out the naming, the dedication, the baptism, the ceremony or whatever it is for you, it's a sellout if we cheapen that by identifying with the person rather than with the Lord who indeed administers grace to us through his many servants that he makes available to us. Is it that important who administers the grace of God to you? I ask a question. Is it that important who's at the end of the phone call when I have a headache or I'm going into a procedure, surgery? Is it that important who's involved in performing one thing or the other for me? Ministering the grace of God. Who is it I'm after? That individual or is it Christ? Who's bigger in my eyes? Christ or the leader of my choice? Or the leader I want to be involved because I estimate them more than others. We fail to see Christ. We joined the Christ who we are joined with in baptism and if that's more important, then it's like the old life of pride in, yeah, it's this guy who's doing it for me. That pride shines through more, at least to Christ, than identifying with the Christ to whom I'm joined. Does that make sense? We fail to see Christ, if who, who we're joined with in baptism, if... It's a matter of pride who actually carries that out for me more 
than the, the Christ who I'm joined in or joined with in that, um, in that rite of baptism. Because indeed, in, in baptism, you know what it symbolizes? We're buried in death, into Christ's death. The old man is buried there. But if the old man is alive and kicking and happy that, yes, one for the, one for the social media page, my baptism with pastor so-and-so, rather than, oh, if it was somebody else, ah, oh, no, no, no. Can't, can't have that. Spoil my, my social cred. That's, that's a big thing. And it shows where the heart is, indeed. Well, but it, was con it was concerning enough for Paul to highlight this as an issue with this church. And for us, um, yeah, it's, 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 worth, it's worth noting and looking really where we are and choosing to grow spiritually rather than um, to rather than to carry on the life, the old life of pride, the old life of seeking our own, the old life of um, accentuate, accentuating human relations rather than the spiritual relationship that we have all together as one in the body of Christ. Paul goes on to talk about in the next uh, section of the, of the text, in from, going from verse 16 and 17. Now Christ sent him to preach the gospel. This is going on to verse 17 now. Christ sent him to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross, the, the cross of Christ would not be made void. Talking about cleverness of speech, Paul here takes, takes a moment to just address those who are um, gathering themselves around a very eloquent teacher. I mentioned Apollos earlier on. This guy is really good. You've got to appreciate the gifts of God in his life. I mean, <laughs> as, as I thought about this, I, I really did think about um, Pastor Rich. Please don't mind me saying. But I, I appreciate when, it, it reminds me of him because, boy, I do like to learn when I hear Pastor Rich teaching. Does that say I prefer him over everybody else? No. I mean, everybody else is here preaching, and I'm here too, listening if I'm not running around doing one thing or the other. <laughs> but um, picture this after church. I'm sure you guys can take this. I'm not, I'm not making a comparison. Please don't take this the wrong way, okay? I'm talking to you, church. <laughs> not the comparison I'm about to make. Picture this after church. Pastor so-and-so is only a street evangelist, and he speaks very simple things. But boy... Pastor has a diploma and he has, he has a degree under his belt, and you can hear it when he preaches, man. Think about that in the conversation. How about seeing the meat of what each one 
and I'm sure both of them preach Jesus Christ crucified. Both of them preach the gospel. One may be full of big terms that if you don't listen carefully, might just go over your head. One would preach the thing quite simple, easy. You can catch it. It's like, you know, gospel ABC. <clears throat> but listen, for this message of the wisdom and the power of God, whoever is speaking, whoever it is that is preaching, whoever it is that's teaching, listen for the message of the wisdom and the power of God. Each of these guys, they may be different in their approach, they may be different in their delivery, may be different in how they prepare. I ain't got slides up here. I'm not Pastor Rob. I hope nobody's having a grab about that. <laughs> nobody's having a bad time right now. <laughs> I'm saying, why did I come to church today? <laughs> See me after, I'll pray for you. <laughs> But each of them, each of us, and I can tell you this, ask anyone. They will pray, pray, and pray. Ask God for help. Like, look, God, I'm going to stand in front of your church again. It's, it's trying. I need your help. I need your utterance. I need you to have me speak. By the leading of your spirit, each one, no matter how it comes out eventually. But each one rests trusting, depending, and walking in the grace of God upon their lives as they preach this same gospel, as they preach this same word. What's the point in all of this? as we come to round this up. As a church, we have the option in the face of divisions, like, we've, like Paul's described, in the face of divisions, whether it's of people exhibiting preference for one leader over another, whether it's a pastor, if Kian's not leading praise today, man, I'm just going to sit down and firm it. I won't sing nothing. You know? And <laughs> whether, it's, whether it's a preference of... Um, and whether, whether, whether it's a preference of, of who I associate with, choosing to have divisions of various kinds. And, and this extends beyond, you know, what I prefer in terms of leadership. I mean, there's so many ways we're affected by these things. We could choose to associate with people of the same kind academically in terms of qualification, in terms of occupation. I only want to hang out with people of a certain, you know, it's just Christ that brought us together otherwise. 
what have I got to do with you? But these are divisions in the body of Christ. How are we brought together? How are we brought together? Is Christ divided? Does Christ have the engineer's faction or the educational faction? Or the cerebral faction, those who are intellectually inclined? And the simple faction? Does Christ have a Barley Lowe's church distinct from Ecclesia Main Church? Hello? That's quite real and relevant for us. There's no distinction. Christ is not divided in that way. Um, and no matter what we think, no matter how we esteem or value those who we even look up to as far as our walk and as far as leadership is concerned, the things that we, we um, demonstrate, the things that we show, really just show uh, a lack of growth or show a growth that is needed, a better appreciation of the basis on which we come together in Christ. We're crucified. We're members of one, we're members of one body. Amen. There is one Lord. There is one Spirit. We're, 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 we have the one faith. To which, and the body in which, we're, in which we're all joined as one God, one Father of us all. Um, <clears throat> and he has given the body servants, stewards uh, of these mysteries, servants who, will, who are servants available to us all. And um, these servants will get their reward from God, their praise from God. Our preferences don't really matter as far as Christ is concerned. None of us is crucified for any. There's only one who was crucified, the one we're called to look onto, the one who told Nicodemus in the night, that meeting, just like Moses lifted up the, the, the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. We can't make distinctions along those lines as though we have different parts of the body. And indeed, none of us is added to anyone among us here. We're all added to Christ. Just picture as... I close. Picture this. We can choose, we have the option, we can choose to maintain divisions that are superficial, divisions that are not like God has designed for the church, divisions according to our preferences within the church, within the body. And against all God's counsel, decide, nah, I'm sticking to my guns. I'm holding to this position. It's just a relationship between me and God. 
as we go through the rest of this letter, you'll find that there really is a call for us to grow up with regard to a relationship with the church, a relationship with the rest of us, a relationship with one another as believers in Christ. There is a challenge. You'll be pressed. You'll be pushed. If you choose to stick to yourself, you will be pushed and pulled out of that, that wanting to just be by myself with my crew or with my clique. Okay, you might firm it and that will last all of lifetime. I'll leave you with this question. What will you do when you get into the presence of the Lord in heaven? What are you going to tell him? And we find we're all there together. Yeah. Let's pray. Divisions are a real thing. We don't, we don't um, naively say they're not there or they don't exist. Um, even the church in its early days experienced that. Perhaps for immaturity. Perhaps for ignorance. But Paul calls it as he it is. It's, it's fleshly. It's, it's merely human. It's not spiritual. We are born again. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. He's not an improved human being. He's a new creature made, <sighs> being transformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. If any of these things has proven to be blunt, hard, cold, served cold, not a problem. Let the Lord find his way um, and let the word of God find good ground so that we appreciate who it is we are in Christ. We appreciate our oneness in the body of Christ. We appreciate the sacrifice of our Savior to save us we appreciate even those he has given over us to be a blessing and to minister his grace to us we appreciate indeed that um, we are added to him Lord thank you grant that this word will find good ground in our hearts we pray in Jesus name Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.